Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Tom Block and Keith Jones with you. This is Front Row Knowles. KJ, you just said it before we started. Sometimes you, you got to be a little fortunate. And I retorted or replied that never apologize for a win. So I think we're both in the same frame of mind as we start this broadcast. Well, and we're elevating at one uh, one level because we didn't say uh, sometimes you just got to be lucky. This time we said sometimes you just got to be fortunate. And um, the things fell on both sides of the ball candidly uh, the way FSU needed them to. Now, not taking anything away, they, there were spurts when this team played very good football against Clemson. But um, they did not necessarily deserve to win this game based on their performance. They won this game because of the work they've done in the spring and over the summer and fall camp and during the week of practice. Um, let's hope that gets corrected during the open week. I commented on the bus to one of the folks that was traveling with the team, a longtime FSU fan. I said, this, this kind of feels like the wide right games in reverse. You're, you, you, the team that outplayed the other team is not the team that won, and that's the way Clemson had to be feeling in their locker room. Like, we outplayed them. We should have won this game. And then you look at the scoreboard, and you didn't. And and sometimes it goes that way. That's why uh, – you know, silly. That's why you play the games, whether it be with uh, uh, on a hard court, on a baseball diamond, on the pitch, or on the football field. You know, you prepare, uh, and you you go out for however many minutes the game or however many innings the game or however many whatever the game is scheduled for. And sometimes the team that performs the best still ends up on the, on the wrong end of the score. Uh, again, not taking anything away from Florida State. There were spurts in there where they played very well, uh, but um, they were fortunate, very fortunate. I think the biggest thing, I'm going to go big picture to start, Keith, the biggest area of improvement in this team to me really feels like what Mike Norvell preaches all the time, which is how do you respond? Response, 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 response. Because two years ago, this team in the second quarter is done in this football game. Correct. We, we've talked about this a lot, that this team is now at the point, and if you just look at this year, against LSU, and and I, I asked Jordan Travis about it post game, and he didn't really single out a specific thing but it's been the first drive in the second quarter against LSU they were losing they needed a touchdown or it was going to get a little lopsided boom they go down the field against BC last week BC's winning 10-3 they need something because it was only their second possession they go down and they tie the game against Clemson they needed something in the second quarter they take over with I don't know 11 minutes left they go down and get their first touchdown so this this team has responded when it has faced adversity and I know that's kind of a – it can be a broad, nebulous thing, but it is markedly different than the psyche of this team just two, three, four, five years ago. Agreed. But here is the glaring um, weakness of being able to respond to adversity. When do you take charge and create adversity for the other team? Because that's what separates the really good teams from the great teams. And we've seen two weeks in a row – where FSU has come out without, quote, unquote, the edge uh, or whatever phrase you want um, to use. Um, I, I call it uninspired. You know, that's probably too harsh of a term. 
But it's one thing to respond to adversity, repeating myself. It's another thing to create the adversity for the other team. And that's a, a piece of this puzzle still uh, to be solved if this 2023 20, team wants to be all it can be. Does that make sense? It makes sense. And I think the answer to what you're talking about lies in fixing the offense because it is discombobulated right now. Maybe that's the word for it. It is It is not greater than the sum of its parts. And that's what we've wanted Florida State to be for a long time, right? And against LSU, I felt like they were. And so we all see that second half against LSU is what this team can achieve. Like that's the ceiling, right, offensively. And they haven't been anywhere close to it since then. We'll come back to that. I, I want to go back to what you're talking about, about the start of the game. So if you look at the start of the game yesterday, they gave up a first down or two, and then Clemson, they forced Clemson to punt. And then the offense gets two first downs, and on third down, it wasn't going to be the easiest catch, but Keon Coleman has the ball in his hands past the sticks, and it gets knocked free. And you could probably argue that some of that is, is technique because he probably should have come back to the ball another foot, and then maybe the DB can't get his arm in. Point is, I thought it was a ball he should have caught. And then the ensuing drive, Fentrell Cypress has two hands on a football and doesn't make the interception, and Clemson goes down and scores a field goal. Now, that, So that's basically one play in each drive that alters the outcome of those drives if you make the play, and Florida State didn't. So is that is that coming out flat? Is it coming out not focused? Is it feeling pressure and just not making a play? Or is it the other team who's pretty good too? Certainly, to be fair, it's a combination of a lot of things. Uh, I come at it from the pure selfish perspective that, you know, I, I want – I want this team to put teams away early. I don't want to have to be worrying about this at the end of the third quarter or the first of the fourth quarter. I want to be worrying about is that the second team defense or the third team defense in there that gave up the 41 yard play. Um, and, and, and we've just seen that. And, and if the wish, if the desire is championship football, that is certainly a piece coming out quick, early, hard, and making a statement. That is something this team has not done consistently yet. Plays I just described, you can give Clemson some credit for knocking the ball free from Keon, and I don't recall if the receiver battled back through Fentrell on that one. But there also were a couple of self-inflicted things, most notably the illegal formations, which forced a punt on one drive on a play you were going to go for it on fourth and two. It moved to fourth and seven. And it forced a field goal attempt, which tied the game. And the, but those are those are self-inflicted things, and they're not typical of Mike Norvell's team. For as many different packages as they run, whatever they were trying to do with that one, I'm sure he would say that's on the coaches because it happened a couple of times, and and the same mistake was made, and they got to get that fixed. But that's that's two drives you basically blew up with your own penalties. And it also illustrates, you know, the level of play you're at. Clem Clemson is a good ball club. They're they're I haven't seen everybody play, but they're as good a two and two club or even the best two and two club in America right now. Uh, they they're finding themselves with a new quarterback. They they've uh, uh, changed some coaches. They're they're running some new systems. I mean that's a talented club, and you're playing at their backyard. Um, you know we do have to give Clemson some credit for that. Uh, but again, if the ultimate prize is a championship, uh, lining up incorrectly not bringing down an interception when you should, not catching a third down conversion early in the game that you have no idea what that might mean later in the game. 
those are the things. There's plenty of teachable moments still left for the squad um, as they go into the bye week. That's the thing we're all excited about. Nobody feels like they're playing anywhere close to their best football. They're right, four and zero. Right, right. There's no, there's no chance that I would have read a script that said Florida State played from behind the entire game. Death Valley didn't lead until literally there were zeros on the scoreboard, which that's not even accurate because they're not keeping time in overtime. Rushed for 22 yards. I think they had two first downs in the second half until that last drive when Johnny Wilson made a couple of catches and ultimately they didn't convert on fourth down. I mean, that's the most impossible to way to win at Death Valley against that team that hadn't lost a conference game at home since 2016. Somehow they did it. You know, and as we start to begin in the process of dialing in, forgive me for maybe getting ahead of you, but, you know, one of the glaring um, things that that jumps out at me is, uh, and, and this is a criticism, I'm not being overly critical, but this is a criticism. I don't like the offensive play calling of late. Uh, I think they, you know, whether it's Jordan going with a first read and staying with it and trying to make those 50-50 balls, 80-20 balls. We, Florida State offensively cannot get the running game going. As you mentioned, just 22 yards on the ground. Absent the running game, this Mike Norvell offense is nothing but a big play offense. When they get the running game going, then they can mix the run in the pass, and this Norvell Atkins offense is probably as good in the country as there is in the country schematically. But when you take that running element completely away, you fall back into, and I would too. I got a six-seven guy on one side, a six-four guy on the other, and eighty-twenty or fifty-fifty balls become eighty-twenty. I'm just going to throw it up and let him catch it, and that is not a recipe that will serve you well. I, I, I think, and I know, I'm convinced that Coach Norbell and his staff is well aware of that, and they will work on that during the open week. But that is the one glaring weakness that will end up biting this offense big time if they don't get it correct. Question. And so let's go right into the offense. Now, with the receivers they have, we talked about this a little bit last week. They need to take a few deep shots a half. And what we're pointing out is that right now you're forcing those deep balls when the guy's not open. If you run the ball for five yards on first down or seven yards on first down and have a second and three, I mean, those shots will just come organically throughout the game. Right now, it feels like they're being forced. The third down issues. That's, that's, you know, if you just want to look at one stat and say, what's the biggest difference? Florida State's probably converting third downs 15 percentage points lower than they did a year ago. But that really goes back to first and second down. First down, if they're throwing the ball and it's incomplete, you're second and 10, they run the ball for two yards, it's third and eight. It's a lot different than converting third and three or four. And they've got to get it fixed. But let's think about this, Keith. 2020, 2021, last year. Mike Norvell and Alex Atkins found a way to run the football with much lesser parts, a worse offensive line, a worse football team, and they were successfully successfully running the football. So it's in there right now. Now, I realize that Jordan is dinged, hurt, injured, whatever. Clearly, they're trying not to run him because of whatever he did to his left shoulder at BC. So that is a little part of it. But I think the bigger issue... Uh, and some of it's on the running backs, not not 
finding the right hole. I think they've got to move the parts around on the offensive line. And I don't know when Robert Scott's coming back, but I think you might need to, if he's healthy, get him back in there at left tackle, move Bless Harris to right tackle, maybe move Byers into guard or move him to the bench. But there's something about those five. It's just not working the way it should right now. The other thing that jumps out at me, uh, if you just take a snapshot, you know, this year versus last year, both Benson and Toafili are not hitting the hole hard. They are dancing too much. Now, that might be a half a second or a third of a second. That's a very split thing. But, you know, Hill's the only one that is hitting the hole hard right now. And, and, and that's got to change. And you mentioned it, and it really is important. You know, when you don't have the true threat of Travis running the ball, again, this Norvell offense is just a little bit different, just a little bit different. And I, I thought it was very clear the instructions and the thought process, either internally, externally, consciously, subconsciously. But remember that play, offense is moving left to right on the TV screen. Jordan kind of rolls out to his left, needs about five yards for a first down and slides at one. Now, he needs to slide, but that's not what we would have seen in 20 and 21 and 22. And again, that makes this offense just a little bit different. Well, we're only a year removed from Florida State rushing for over 200 yards in six straight games last season. Remember, that is the longest streak in school history, I think, if memory serves. Or you know, the uh, longest you... ones. It was the longest one since Sammy Smith played in the late 80s that they've rushed for 200-plus yards in six straight games. I mean, that's like eight, nine games ago they did that. Uh, and, and again, once again, uh, your memory much better than mine. I can recall that. I just can't remember that. <laughs> my point is it's not like alex atkins and mike norvell forgot how to coach no offense. no 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 not at all and i i do hear some people kind of generalizing that jordan's worried about the heisman and so he's trying to run up numbers i, I don't think it's that i think i think jordan is really confident in those two receivers i think in the case of yesterday it was interesting in the post game. Jordan talked about how he felt disrespected by the way Clemson was our offense. I felt disrespected. They didn't think I could make the throw because they've got good corners and they were singled up a lot on on Johnny and Keon. I, I think another way to look at that is this offense for FSU is tough to defend and you got to do something. And so something's going to be exposed. And they rolled the deuce on that, but they did a darn good job stopping everything else, right? For the most part, they shut down the deep ball other than the one in overtime, right? Um, but these guys know how to coach offense, but they, they got to do it. They, they got to find a way to get ahead of the chains and whether that's running better, whether that's shorter pass, I think the start of the game, they were throwing on first down, but they threw a ball to Trey Benson. They threw a ball to Jaheim Bell and they got seven yards on those. And lo and behold, guess what? They got a first down on that sequence. Right. And then when, they, when they drop the ball and they're behind the chains, that's where they're really struggling right now. Agreed. Agreed. And again, whether it's um, conscious or subconscious, you know, whether it's Travis, um, you know, going with the first read, even when it's covered, instead of, you know, checking down to something. I mean, we may, we may never know the answer to that. All we know is what it looks like when we see it happening. Um, and the other thing, too, Tommy, you mentioned throwing the deep ball. Uh, FSU, in my opinion, really didn't throw the deep ball yesterday. Those are back shoulder throws. That yeah. wasn't that wasn't out, all out nines or sevens, uh, and as you know, that that's a different philosophy too. 
Um, they did, you know, th those guys can get open down the middle of the field if you call it. You got to have some protection. You got to have give Travis another second or so in the pocket. Uh, he's got to, you know, make an accurate throw. Um, so there's all, again back to what we said originally, uh, four and zero, oh, but still with a lot of room for improvement. Yeah, I think that's one of my frustrations on the balls downfield. The back shoulder throws are even harder to execute to perfection. I mean, you're already talking about a low percentage throw. If you're the, the further the yardage is, the lower the percentage throw generally, right? Uh, but they haven't been nines and, and and sevens, like you're saying. And those guys can do that. On, on those back shoulder fades, I mean, it may look like a terrible throw from Jordan. Oh, he's off target. Maybe the receiver went a half step too far before he turned around. We don't know that. It's just that the degree of difficulty is higher on those, it feels like. Um, it's all in there, and I still love their parts. I don't know where you find the balance. You know, the slot receivers have really not been a factor, and I'm talking about Destin Hill and Winston Wright because they're not on the field very much. The slot receiver is Jaheim Bell. Now, he's right. been a factor this season. Yes. I don't know, and if and if that's the formation they, they want to use, which is two receivers, two tight ends, and one back, then there's not a spot. For, for those slot receivers, you know? I don't know if you drop a tight end and you put them in, but I think they're more comfortable with the mismatch combination of blocking and pass-catching threat that they get by having a second tight end in there. How about this? Give me your take on this observation. First drive, they came out with two backs. Now, remember in the LSU game, they ran one back in the first half. They, they decided to not put the two back sets in until after halftime, let LSU make their adjustments, then show them something different. And that worked very well. So I'm sitting there watching the game yesterday and they come out in the two backs first series. I'm going, they're going to run the ball for 200 yards. And they ran for 22. What, what did they get away from? What, what, what were they going to do maybe that they decided not to do or couldn't do? I don't know. The one little asterisk I'll put on this is because they played from behind, there were a couple points in that game where they really did have to scrap the running game. Second quarter comes to mind. I mean, one of those was they, they needed to throw the football because they, they couldn't tinker with the running game and give up another possession, you know. So it got a little skewed, but still, you know, if it wasn't 22, it was going to be 47 yards. You know, it was not going to be a number we're used to seeing there. You know, Vincent had a nice run in the in the first quarter, I think, or maybe it was the second quarter. But early on, they had a couple of runs, and then it just it just disappeared. We do need to tip our cap to Clemson. It's a good front, and their linebackers are really good too. But that that's not a reason. I mean, Florida State and this staff will find ways around that, and I think that's the best thing. I, I do feel like this this bye week. You, no, never in the history of football has a coach said the bye week is coming at a bad time. It's certainly coming at a good time right now. You've expended a lot of energy in two big football games. You've got the two best wins on the resume of any program in the country right now. You're sitting 4-0. You're in the top five in the country. We're recording before the polls come out. I can't imagine you would drop after that performance. I don't know if you would move back up over Texas in one poll. Uh, and, and now you've got some time to maybe get some guys healthier. And, and more than that, I mean, what you get in a bye week this week, you're not game planning against Virginia Tech very much. You're going back and you're repping the things that Basics. you are not getting right. Basics. Basics. Yeah. You're going back and saying, here's why counter is not working. And you're figuring out, okay, is this the correct right guard and right tackle or do we need to switch? I mean, those are the things you're, you're going over that play where you had the formation wrong twice. And you're doing that a thousand times during practice this week. So you don't get it wrong again this year. 
those are the kind of things that get cleaned up. And then you go into next week on top of the fact that guys will get their legs back a little because you you'll have Friday, Saturday or a couple, you have a few days off somewhere. I don't know what the schedule is. Um, the other so it's thing, definitely coming at a good time. The other, and the other thing that I really like about this staff, um, you know, and if, if coach Norvell was listening to what we said the last 10 minutes, uh, he, he could react one of two ways. He could say, well, you guys don't understand. Clemson was doing this, that, and the other, and that's the reason we couldn't run the ball. Or he could say, yeah, we, we've got to go back and get the basics and find a way to make this work. I'm 99% sure that Coach Norvell and his staff are going to take that latter approach, not the former approach. They know that they need to make some tweaks, and they have the ability to make those tweaks, and, and they are smart enough to make those tweaks uh, I'll be very shocked if that running game doesn't get retooled and relooked at, and it therefore uh, becomes obviously you're playing some different competition when you get back on the field. But that's one of the things I like about this staff. Um, you know, they they don't ever they don't ever compromise on their principles and on the foundational stuff, uh, but they're very creative at tweaking and changing and adapting. Um, and I think that's one of their strong suits. That's one of the things I think makes this staff very, very good. Yeah, well, I don't think there's ego getting in the way of it. I mean, right. to put it bluntly, you know, whatever it is, whatever it looks like, if this is what we have to do to fix this, then that's what, what we're going to do, you know. Um, so I, I do have confidence there, but I think this all rolls together. We can move to defense, Keith. Uh you know, there's times certainly this year, first half yesterday being one of them, where you're thinking, what in the world is the deal with the defense? But just, just look at the last two weeks. The time of possession has been so out of whack. And on the one hand, you say, well, the defense can feel free to get the offense off the field at any point they make a stop, right? On the other hand, let's use offense. If you're going three and out and two of them are incomplete passes, you're holding the ball for like 48 seconds, and then the defense is back out there. So... I think that, that this all goes hand in hand and and uh, the defense needs to be better for a full 60 minutes. We'll, we'll dive into that. But if the offense was having five or six minute drives instead of two minute drives, you know, then you don't look up and see the yardage disparity and everything that we're seeing right now. It's accumulating. Two, two things about that too, Tommy. If you're only on the sidelines for 48 seconds, you know, two incompletions and a, and a you know, first down run for two yards and two incompletions. You have absolutely no time to make adjustments. So you've got the you got the guys up in the box, uh, and they're they're talking to the coaches on the field, and we got to look at this, and don't forget about that. And what do you think about this? You don't have time to make any changes. Secondly, that was the criticism we've all had um, going back what ten years ago when all this hurry up started. The two things that kill the defense is scoring too quickly and going three and out. You, you got to have a little bit of time uh, because you're always reacting. You're not dictating. You're reacting on the defensive side. The one thing I did like, and I think we might see some more of it. I get it. I understand. But we, we have become a team that blitzes a whole lot more in the second half than we do in the first half. Uh, and um, that may come back to bite somebody along the way, but maybe we need to be a little more pressure-oriented in the first half. Yeah, I don't disagree because it, in the simplest terms, the biggest difference yesterday was affecting the quarterback, and they affected him in the second half. They didn't affect him in the first half. Now, I've only watched the first half back 
TV copy. And uh, there was a little bit more pressure than I remembered live in the first half, but they, I mean, extra pressure, a blitzer, but they didn't get home on it. And Clemson completed the pass. In the second half, the adjustments they made, they got home. So we talked about this a little bit. One of the reasons you save what's in the arsenal until the second half is because then the, the other team doesn't have a chance to make adjustments at halftime, right? But it's point you're walking that line of, well, this this game is getting away from us in the first half, so we may need to empty the chambers right now. So right. That, that's the fun. I, I don't disagree. If you've got a young quarterback, and Klubnik is still young. I know he's five-star and all that. Why would you not – why would you let him get any confidence at all? Why would you not bring everything early on? And, and you know, the, the role of the dice, maybe not as much with this Clemson team because they don't have – they had a couple receivers who were out, and they don't have true difference makers at this point in their careers at the receiver position. You know, if you don't get home and you got guys on islands, you might get beat and you might give up an 80-yard touchdown over the top, right? Looking at what I've seen from Clemson this year and what we saw yesterday, they're really not taking shots. They're they're throwing – they're throwing to the sideline. They're throwing slants. I mean, they hit one seam route, I think, on the day. That was a great diving catch by the receiver, but he's really not throwing the ball there. And I agree. I think they need to bring the pressure sooner. And and, and as you mentioned, that's a roll of the dice. We, we, we'll sit back and say that, that uh, Coach Fuller was wrong for blitzing so much in the first half. If it doesn't work, uh, we, we have that luxury sitting uh, and looking in hindsight. Um, but I do think that's something that they, they need to look at. Uh, I just get disappointed. I know that we're not supposed to necessarily focus on numbers because the game is a lot different. Uh, but when you give up 420, 430 yards of offense and uh, the other team has, what, 35, 36 minutes time of possession, so that's nine or ten minutes to their favor, you're, you're asking a lot of your defense, uh, you know, Almost every game, the other offense has had to play, had the ball 15, 20, 22 more plays than this Florida State offense. Um, just, just from a numerical standpoint, th- those are some tough hills to sled. It, it's just, it's just the quantitative nature of the game. And that said, the defense, the most points they've allowed was 29 against BC, but seven wins came on a. a Scoop and score. So, I mean, really, I, if this defense – I guess the, the most surprising part about this season is I didn't think Florida State – and the defense hasn't had the advantage of. We all thought this offense would be so good that the other team would be three scores behind and would have to throw the football. It's obvious passing situations, and the defense could play free and loose. But that hasn't been the case now for six quarters, you know. Uh, right. You weren't playing from behind against BC, although it felt like it. Uh, really eight quarters that whole game you, ne- you never you thought you had it comfortable but you never did so they haven't had that that advantage of being that far ahead I think they've they've played pretty well and I think it's inarguable that the defense won the game at Clemson because of the scoop and score on the blitz by Kalen Deloach I mean that one play turned the game and and Keith I've been racking my brain I don't remember a defensive play score like that by FSU with the game hanging in the balance. I mean, there's there's lots of defensive scores over the years. 2013, you had one uh, at Clemson on a Mario Edwards Jr. hit, and I think Joyner got picked it up and ran in, or maybe the other way around. I don't remember, but the game wasn't in the balance. This this game was going to be over if Clemson scored on that possession. And, and I agree. And when when – you're also playing from behind 
you know, intuitively, intuitively, as a play caller, defensive play caller, intuitively you would think, okay, I'm, I'm playing from behind. I need to be more aggressive. But the reality is you don't want to be overly aggressive because you don't want to give up another big play and be that much farther behind. So balancing that, I mean, I, I appreciate, I by no means, uh, Adam Fuller has forgotten more about defense than I would ever know in my lifetime. But I can't help but think that when you're playing from behind, whether you would ever admit it publicly or not, you might even call a game a little more conservative, conservatively. Now you get into the second half and you're down and you got to start making plays, then you get aggressive again. Um, I don't know that, that Coach Fuller and his staff would ever admit to that publicly, but I can't help but think that the, some, that's somewhere in the back of your mind, at least. Yeah, the, the defense, uh, just looking at yesterday's game, they gave up seven points in the second half, Keith, uh, and they scored seven. Uh, and the pressure affected Klovnik. I mean, you could see it first series of the second half. Uh, they blitzed. He completed the pass in a nice catch by the receiver. The next time he threw, uh, he there wasn't blitz pressure, but he, he brought the ball out. He released the ball a little earlier than he had been because he kind of felt some guys around him. The tackles were getting there. And so it sped him up right from the start on that. Then they hit him a few times after that. And and then you got, I mean, that's, we could all see the Red Sea uh, opening there. And it was just a matter of whether Deloach was going to get home. Man, that was a pretty play though. It was, it was. And in fact, that leads us, they leads us to our most interesting play of the, of the game. And that is uh, the, the Kalen Deloach sack. Uh, if you read his box score, uh, on that particular play, he gets a tackle for a loss, he gets a sack, he gets a forced fumble, and he gets a recovered fumble. You get four four stats on, on, on one play, and that is our most interesting uh, move, most interesting play of the game, brought to you by Prime Meridian Bank. Uh, and, and a sub part of that, by the way, Tommy, is we were very fortunate that Fisk fumbled the ball. Because no, no offense, Brian, no offense, but I don't think you would have made the end zone. I think somebody would have caught you. Uh, but that is our most interesting uh, play of the game. Again, uh, brought to you by Prime Meridian Bank. Uh, two locations in Tallahassee, down in Crawford, Lakeland as well. Uh, business checking, personal checking, home loans, home equity, whatever you need. Stop by and see them. Uh, you can walk in. You'll be offered that uh, cup of coffee and that cookie. Uh, they'll greet you by name, uh, Primary and Bank. Uh, go see our folks. They'll do you well, I promise you. You mentioned Braden Fisk. Let me bring something up that happened. In I the called him Brian. Half. I'm sorry. Thank you for correcting me. That, see how much better you're getting with the old man? You didn't correct me out front. You just corrected me behind the scenes. Thank you. Actually, I'm getting older too, Keith. And so if you said Brian, I missed it. I'm just going to tell another Braden Fisk story here. So. <laughs> In the first half, and I, I watched the first half copy, and TV didn't really explain this either. Uh, there was a play. Clemson was coming out of off its goal line about their 15-yard line or so. Braden Fisk lost his helmet. And the end result was it was a 15-yard penalty. But let me just explain what happened. And, again, this is on the player and on the coaching staff. His helmet came off, and, and the ref is pointing at him to get off the field, and he puts his helmet back on, and he runs to the sideline. Well, nobody on the sideline knew that his helmet had come off. So he gets to the sideline and somebody immediately sends him back in, which is why he got in late. 
And so there is, that's a very teachable moment, but there wasn't a sub ready. I, I don't know how you handle that. It's like, you got to keep your helmet off and be holding it by your side. So that as you're running to the sideline, your sub and the coaches and everybody realize what happened. Cause he went over there. It's like a teacher yelling at you to go do this. And you get over there and the other teacher yells at you to go do this, right? He ran to the sideline because the ref told him to. And then somebody on the sideline said, get back in there. Cause you're in this personnel package. But that was a 15 yard penalty. That's another, I mean, it doesn't happen very often, but but you got to get that right. You got to sit out of play and get somebody else in there. And, and you mentioned it. Uh, obviously, that rule was not in effect when I was playing. But one of the things that I have seen, and you picked right up on it, is if you lose your helmet, you you instruct your players, offense or defense, do not put that helmet back on until you get to the sideline. And secondly, there needs to be somebody up in the box, somebody upstairs whose job it is, amongst other things, to be saying, we got a hat off, we got a hat off, we got a hat off, so that the guys on the sideline know they got to substitute somebody and then pick up from there. Either one or both of those will help correct that. But you're exactly right. I saw it while it was happening. And I, and I thought to myself, I bet he ran to the sideline and somebody who wasn't paying attention made him run back out there. Uh, so, you know, what's he supposed to do? Tell them they're wrong and not go back out there? That's what I mean. Like now an, an authority yeah. figure is telling you to get back out there, you go do it, even though the other authority figure told, you know, so. Yep, yep. But, and I think Clemson ultimately, that, got, that it, at the very least, it flipped the field. I'm not looking at the drive chart. That may have been a scoring drive, and that was 15 yards out of it. And, you know, 15 yards out of an 80-yard drive or 90-yard drive, whatever that was, if that's the one, may not seem like that much. But it changes the playbook if you're no longer at your 15-yard line and now you're at your 30-yard line. So that's not insignificant. I also thought, I'm interested in your opinion, the the touchdown uh, or the, the, the attempted pass to the tight end in the end zone by Clemson where Tatum Bethune got caught for, for holding felt a little ticky tack for me. I mean, sure. By the book, it was holding. I don't know. That kind of stuff kind of goes around all the time or happens a lot. The, the, the pass interference call on eight on that last Clemson drive preceding the missed field goal when they had them off the field on third down. I didn't agree with that one at all, but I'll let you jump in on those two. Well, uh, the, the one on the goal line, you know, that's a 50-50 call. Sometimes you'll get it and sometimes you don't. That time Clemson got it. Did not agree with the PI call. However, I will tell you, and when you go back and if you ever go back and watch the second half of the TV feed, there was a lot of, of jousting going on on both sides of the ball down the field. In other words, you know, Back to your comment about ACC officials, uh, consistency, and, you know, if you're going to let them play, let them play. Uh, they didn't call a bunch of stuff that they maybe could call, and then they call them in that situation. That's, um, that's the point. That's, that's, the point. The, that's the inconsistency that drives people nuts. And on the ensuing drive, there was a hold or a PI against Keon Coleman when, when Florida State failed, to, when they turned it over on downs, one of the plays preceding that, Coleman had been held or interfered with, and they didn't call it, throw the flag then. So, well, just the frustrations. On one of the offensive pass interference calls that Clemson had, on the replay, it, it, I mean, he did everything he was supposed to do to not get a call. I mean, you, you know that they're picking. You know they're scraping. It's just the question, do you do it well enough not to get the flag? 
And he did it well enough not to get the flag on that one and he threw it. So it was inconsistent both ways. Yeah. Yeah. So you, uh, looking back at this, we know what happened in overtime. Clemson on that third and one, that was on the quarterback, not on Dabo. But I thought, I listened to Dabo's post game and he, he owned that. He said, uh, he said, that's on us as a staff. You know, we have that option in there. It's basically a math. It, it's counting numbers for the quarterback. And he did what he's coached to do most other times. But Dabo admitted that they got to have a, another call in there that on that one, it's definitely a handoff. You're not throwing it. And that you could hear the air go out of the stadium on that play. Um, I thought it was a really good plan by Clemson and credit them. I, I thought they, they they coached well. They played well. I thought Davos' punk management, though, was not ideal. He burned timeouts, and that was the biggest thing that came back to bite him. When, when you call in any half of any game, when you have to call two defensive timeouts, that's staff. That's not players. There, there's something amiss there. Uh, the other thing he did, I don't know if you've gotten this far, but he basically threw his defensive coordinator under the bus in his halftime interview coming off the field. Uh, and there were a couple of times where you could see that they weren't on the same page. Uh, I've never seen Dabo do that. I, I, I may, you know, I don't watch Clemson that closely, but there was there was some uh, not in agreement at the highest levels, head coach and defensive coordinator. I'll say this. If you look at Clemson's remaining schedule, I don't know if I have it in front of me, but it's not easy. And so if Clemson, uh, you know, Florida State knew it was going to get Clemson's best shot. But the, the Tigers could be staring at uh, – so they go to Syracuse next week. Syracuse is unbeaten. They play at Miami. They play at NC State. They host Notre Dame. They host North Carolina. They play at South Carolina. Also, Georgia Tech and Wake are in there. They're, they're, that's not a guaranteed we're running the slate from here. I mean, uh, if Clemson doesn't find the same energy they played with against Florida State, and, and if some of those receivers are hurt more seriously, that the, the, the losses might add up a little bit this year for Clemson. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, and again, kind of rounding back, um, you know, if you're Florida State entering this bye week, uh, an opportunity to get back to some basics, uh, to, you know, potentially reconfigure or reassign um, to uh, refocus. Uh, again, I, I, you know, of all the negatives that we've talked about, I think the most glaring, I think the, the 51 percenter out there is if you don't find a way to get that running game going, every game is going to be an absolute, absolute 60 minute, um, uh, the, you know, the, the last two minutes of the game will be just as important as, as any time else in the game. And, oh, by the way, um, what do we call it now? The middle eight? Is that the term we're using? You know, Florida State uh, scores on their last possession of the first half and gets a field goal on their first possession of the second half. Uh, that middle eight, uh, there's something to that theory, I think. Well, they didn't turn the football over against Clemson. Last year's game got away when Travis fumbled at midfield. Clemson had gone up 17-14. You, you've got the ball for what should have been the last drive of the second quarter, probably could take the lead. Instead, they turn it over at midfield, and Clemson gets a touchdown before half last year, and it's a 10-point lead. And that really was the difference of the game, but that was in that middle eight. They, the early third quarter was not ideal for FSU last year either. All things considered, Keith, I, I don't know. Jordan wouldn't give me a grade. I asked him, I said, you're 4-0, but this offense hadn't been as good as it can be. What would you give it as a grade? He wouldn't offer one. 
uh, but you might give it a B minus or a C plus. And I know that's grading uh, maybe a little tough, Keith, but when you look at these parts and the fact they're not running the football, I mean, there's a lot of average there other than the fact they're winning and they're, and they're scoring points. Uh, what, what, what a change 700, 750 days make. Uh, the conversations we were having two years ago uh, are far different than the conversations we're having today. Uh, you know, we got to do this, got to do that. The bottom line, Tommy, we began the show uh, this way. You, you never apologize for a win. You're 4-0. You're in the top five. You control your own destiny. You don't need anybody else to help you. Uh, and we would all have taken that in, uh, in August 1st when camp was getting started. Shout out to the special teams, by the way, Fitz and Master Mono. For, uh, I mean, Fitz is perfect this year. Master Mono missed hit one early on, but then he made up for it by booming four 50-plus yarders and flipping the field a lot. He averaged and, 49 uh, yards and some change for the game. Yeah. Yeah, his balls have been turning over uh, this year. He's been, he's been punting well. And Fitz, it, it looked like a two-iron maybe coming off of his foot, but it, it lined up with the hole, so we'll take it. Well, just as long as you don't bring out that one iron, because uh, if you're ever in a lightning storm on a golf course and you have a one iron, just raise it above your head as you're walking to the shelter, because even God can't hit a one iron. <laughs> Noted. And that uh, particular old man joke from Keith Jones, we're going to uh, finish up. AJ, we'll do this again during the middle of the week, as we always do. Look forward to it. All righty. Florida State breaks the rock and uh, maybe kind of breaks Holly's rock. Who broke the rock, out of I didn't see that. Who broke the rock? The loads did. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. First time. That was the play of the game. The loads breaking that rock. So that would probably be the first time in the Norvell era when back-to-back -back games have been broken by a defensive play. I don't have that stat in front of me, but I'm not going to argue with you on that. Because it's Lundy last week and Deloach this week. Lundy's an offensive player, too, though. I mean, he's not Travis Hunter, but he's a two-way guy, KJ. No, he's not. You do not see him listed on the offensive chart. So, if you only play one play every five games at fullback, that doesn't can't make you a two-way player? No. DJ Sorry. would beg to differ. Sorry. He's bigger, than, he's bigger than both of us, Keith, so I'm not going to argue with him. If he wants to call himself a two-way player, go ahead, DJ. Okay. All right, we're out of time. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles.